You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. He said, get your fixation off the causes. Stop looking for a reason that this man is blind. Turn to the purposes and plans of God. Get your eyes off the circumstances that God has you in right now. Stop trying to figure out the why, what, where, when, how. Focus on God and His eternal plan and His eternal purpose for you. Do you rest in the confidence knowing that God holds all things together? In today's message from Pastor Dave, he encourages you to focus on the Lord and His eternal purposes for your life. No matter the circumstances that are taking place right now, God will in time work all things together for your good and His glory. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 9 as he continues his message, Who Sinned? an eternal purpose for allowing this man to be born blind. His blindness will allow Jesus to manifest the work to God. God is working out an eternal purpose in all our lives, even in the midst of tragedy. And sometimes I think he works best in the midst of tragedy. God is working out eternal purposes, even in the midst of tragedy. If it wasn't, we'd have to rip out of the Bible, Romans 8, 28. What does it say? Say it to yourself. Don't say it to me. I'm going to read it to you. It says, and we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And what a great verse. What a fantastic verse. It has helped me over and over and over again in my life. Now, as I told you, you're not always going to understand the circumstances. God has never asked you to understand the circumstances that befall you. He's only asked you to do one thing, and that is to believe. Have faith in the midst of the circumstances that God knows what he's doing. He's God and we're not. My favorite, one of my favorite shows is Rudy. And Rudy couldn't get into the University of Notre Dame. And finally, he goes to the priest and says, why is God not allowing me to go to Notre Dame? I keep applying, I keep doing this. And he looked at him and he said, clearly, he said, in all my years of, of ministry, I've learned one thing. He's God, and I'm not. What a great thing to learn. What a really great thing to learn. He's God, and we're not. We're not going to know everything that he does. We're not going to understand everything he does, but we need to believe that he has a purpose for doing the things he does. I can't tell you why the Lord decided to take my son. I can't tell you that. I don't know it. I have no knowledge of that, but I believe he's a good, good father. So I fall back on what I do know, the foundation of love that is in Jesus Christ. I fall back on God's love. I fall back on that. And I rest assured in that. I know that God's loved me. Not only because the Bible says so, but my heart tells me that he loves me. I know he's loved. You can't convince me that he doesn't. I understand that he's wiser than I. I understand that his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. I understand that. And I understand he's in control of every circumstance, whether good or bad, that surround my life. I understand that. But I don't know why God has allowed it to happen to me. But I do know that it couldn't happen unless God allowed it to happen. And that God loves me, and he's working out the best for me. 
through it. Thus, I can be comfortable and rest in an extremely uncomfortable place. When God has you in an uncomfortable place, you can rest and be assured that God knows what he's doing. God is in control. Many of you know my history of flying. Not good. David, no like flying. Mm -mm. No, no way. I told, I told first service, when I get off the plane, they have to change the seat because engraved in the armchairs are like, arr, 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 arr. my fingerprints. I don't like to fly. I hate to get on the plane. I hate the taxi. I hate to take off. I hate to be in the air, and I hate to land. I love to get off the plane. That's fun. We're in Orlando, and we're going back, coming back to New Jersey after being at a pastor's conference in Merritt Island back in the 90s. We're there, right? We're coming back. And I'm starting my pacing. I'm sweaty. I'm getting all upset because I'm going to fly. Oh, I can't stand it. And Beatrice is there saying, calm down, calm down. Yeah, right. I'm going through all this kind of stuff. So we're standing here. Finally, the plane arrives. And all these people are coming off the plane. And I'm sitting there, and I'm miserable. I'm sweating like a fiend. And all of a sudden, I see this lady coming off the plane in this bright red shirt. Bright red shirt, reddest I've ever seen. And on it in white letters is, God is in control. <laughs> okay. I think you tried to tell me something. Yes, all right. Yes. We need to understand that he's God, that we are not, and that he is always in control. I can't tell you why there's various things that happen to us. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you that God loves you. How much? Oh. We'll never really know the vast amount that God loves you until we see him face to face. Oh, how you can understand the fathom of his love, the depth, the height, the breadth. How we can understand that. You want to understand it? Understand that and you'll understand God's love. Understand the cross and you can understand God's love. Next time you happen to... And you know what? How many of you, when I told you to recite Romans 8.28, said... God works all things together for good. How many, you can be honest, how many have said that? All right, thank you for your honesty. I think there was a lot more that said it, but they won't admit it. That's okay. But you were meant, we, see, there's three words that should give us comfort. Three words at the beginning, and we know. Paul's writing to you guys saying, hey, you should know this, and we know. And we know. It's something that Paul said, we should know this. All things work together. All things work together for good. Jesus is turning to his disciples. He said, get your fixation off the causes. Stop looking for a reason that this man is blind. Turn to the purposes and plans of God. Get your eyes off the circumstances that God has you in right now. Stop trying to figure out the why, what, where, when, how. Focus on God and his eternal plan and his eternal purpose for you. That's what we do. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, not really easy sometimes. I'll be the first person to tell you that it's not easy. It's not easy at all. I know the next time I fly, I'll be a wreck. But I do know God's in control. There is one main truth in verse 3 that we need to get into us. The blindness is that the works of God might be displayed. The truth is that suffering can have the ultimate meaning only in a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when you go through your suffering, it's not going to have any meaning at all. You're going to wander around, and that's unfortunately why so many people put a gun to their head. They have no purpose, no meaning whatsoever. And they go into a tragedy that they absolutely can't handle, and they kill themselves. The truth is that suffering can only have its ultimate meaning in a relationship to God. Jesus says the purpose of the blindness is to put God on display. Here, 
Look at God. Isn't he wonderful? Watch him do this. This means that our suffering will have ultimate meaning. If it's going to have ultimate meaning, God must be supremely valuable to us. If God's up here, as you suffer, there's going to be value. Value. Yes, I said value and suffering. As God is up here, you're glorifying him. You're not concentrating on the suffering. But if God is not up there, you will be struggling. God becomes more valuable than health and life. Where can we go? You have the words of life. Many things in the Bible make no sense until God becomes your supreme value. The Bible becomes clear when God becomes number one in your life. For Jesus, the blindness from birth is a sufficiency explained, saying God intends to display some glory in the midst of this. In this case, it's going to be healing. It's going to give glory to God's power. It's going to show this. But nothing says it has to be healing. Repeat. Nothing said it has to be healing. And I can prove that biblically. The Apostle Paul prayed three times, Lord, take this thorn from my flesh. Lord, take this thorn from my flesh. Lord, take this thorn from my flesh. We have no idea what the thorn was. There are many suggestions, but we really don't know. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus speaks back to him and says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I will put my power on display not by healing you, Paul, but by sustaining you in the midst of it. In other words, healing displays the work of the God in John 9, and sustaining grace displays the work of God in 2 Corinthians. What is common in both these cases is the value placed on the glory of God. What kind of value do you place on God being glorified in your life? What do you want people to see? And I tell you time and time and time again, God bless you, I love you so much, but I have to tell you time and time and time again, you're either coming out of a malady, you're either coming out of an affliction, or you're going into an affliction and a malady. What are people going to see? What are people going to see when you go through this? Because I got news for you, everybody's watching. Everybody wants to know, you call yourself a Christian. Yeah, we want to see it. We want to see it. They watch every single thing you do. Every single thing you do. Mark caught a 17 and a half inch flounder last week. And his partner was watching to see if he would keep it. And I told Mark, couldn't you jump up and down on top of it and make it a little longer? <laughs> and Mark said, no, I had to throw it back. Because his partner was watching. People watch even the minutest things that you do. People watch the minutest things that you do. Do you give glory to God in everything? Do you give glory to God in everything? Suffering can only have the ultimate meaning when you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this, because I know what's going on in a lot of your lives. Does your suffering draw you closer to God, or does it push you away? Do you run away from God because of your suffering, or do you run to God in the midst of your suffering? Jesus continues in verse 4, and he says this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. I must do the works of him who sent me. The works. Jesus has been sent to do a work. What work has Jesus been sent to do? Well, there's no better place where it's described than in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 4. In chapter 4, we see Jesus now going to teach the people in the synagogue. He's going to teach. And I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. 
Jesus is going to teach. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he went and had been brought up. And as his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now that's the position that the pastor or the rabbi does. He stands and he reads. When he teaches, the pastor or rabbi sits down. That's Jewish tradition. So it says, so Jesus stood up to read. He was handed the book. And it was the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closes the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. What did he say? He said, I have come in the name of this book, and he looks at it, he sits down, and all the eyes are fixed on him, it says. And he speaks in verse 21. Today, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. What was he saying? He was telling them that he was the Messiah. He was telling them that he was the Messiah, and this is why he's come. To heal your broken heart because of your sin. To heal your broken heart because your sin is separated from, your, from God. To bring you back to God because of him and his love, to give you liberty. And he mentions liberty twice. He mentions liberty twice, free from the bondage of sin, free not to sin, free from the bondage that so easily takes care of us. He wants to give us sight. He wants to give us sight, not just clear eyes, but spiritual eyes. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the, spirit, the, the kingdom of heaven. He wants to give us a spiritual eyes. He wants to give us this liberty. Jesus is going to heal this blind man. The work of God is healing. The work of God is making rights wrong. The work of God is removing the pain and suffering which the world was cursed by sin. Why does suffering happen? Why does the world have a problem? Sin. Adam. Some person told me there was going to be a line up in heaven of people who wanted to punch Adam in the mouth. I don't know about that. Adam did it because of Adam. Jesus presents this beautiful and glorious picture of the Father a good, good father, a loving father. In the previous chapter, he told the Jews, you neither know me or my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And this is the problem. They don't know God. Not the God that we know. They don't have a relationship with him. Their relationship is through works and works and works and works and works. If I do this, he'll do this. If I do this, he'll do that. If I do this, he'll... No. No. By faith and faith alone. Only by faith can we enter. Only by faith can we stand. Not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. Only by faith. God can never love you any more than he does right now. You can try to earn it, you'll never get there. You can try to earn all you want, you can't. They didn't know God. They didn't experience God. They didn't experience his love. If they had him, they would have never wanted to stone the woman in adultery. God wanted to forgive her. He wanted to reconcile her back to him. But they wanted to kill her. Because they didn't really know him. They wanted their way. They wanted their laws, their traditions. They wanted everything their way. They wanted to place her under the law, all the law that, that they even couldn't keep. You know what's sad? People like that today who come to church every single Sunday and hear messages of hope and peace and grace. And they sit and they listen. But yet, when it's over, they're right back on the work trail. 
right back on the work trail. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to build that mansion up in heaven. Oh, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to get this brick, and I'm going to get that brick, and I'm going to build it. I'm going to help this person because God's going to love me if I help this person. I'm going to do this because God's going to love me if I do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that because God's going to love me more. I'm sorry to say he doesn't love you anymore for that. And besides, you're not building a mansion in heaven. He's building it for you. That's what the scripture says. The only thing that pleases God is faith. In a spiritual sense, God has called us to be paramedics instead of policemen. In other words, our job is not to find fault, not to find the causes for suffering. Our job is to minister to those who suffer. Our job is to help people who suffer to come into the arms of Jesus Christ, the true healer, the true one who will comfort them, the true one who will give them life and life eternal. That's our job. Show them Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. Lead them into his arms. Lead them into the one who is able to heal the broken heart. One who is able to remove the blindness from their eyes. One who is able to take away the bondage of sin. And one who will show them the way to the Father in forgiveness. This is the work of the Father. Instead of focusing on the man as a theological problem, the disciples, that's what they want to do. They want to theologize this. Theologize? That's got to be a word somewhere. They want to make this a theology problem. They want to look at this and say, this and no. Jesus said, no. No. Jesus sensed an urgency here because his time was short. Night's coming. Night's coming. And I won't be with you. Night was coming. Jesus was going to be crucified. He would raise again, but rise again on the third day. And he would ascend into heaven where he sits now on the right hand of God the Father. He was telling them that the time is short. And I'm telling you folks that the time is short now. Jesus will come again, according to his scriptures, according to his word. He will come again, and he will take his bride home, which is his church. Will you be ready? Listen to this great quote from Spurgeon. Quote, whenever you see a man in sorrow and trouble, the way to look at it is this. Not to blame him and to inquire how he came there, but to say, here's an opening for God's almighty love. Here's an occasion for the display of the grace and the goodness of the Lord. That's how we need to look at people. How can I help them today? How can I be in Wawa and see somebody struggling and help them see Jesus? How can I be at Acme or ShopRite or anywhere else I go? How can I be up on the boardwalk? How can I be anywhere we go and help people see Jesus? They're not going to see it by your works. Look, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and you're sweating from the brow. It's by faith that we please God. When are we going to learn? We keep bumping our heads in the wall, and eventually our heads are going to bleed. Jesus understood that the opportunities for service and doing good don't last forever. Jesus knew that healing this man on the Sabbath was going to even ramp up the conflict. He knew it. He knew it. But he did it anyhow because of his compassion. Now let's look at verse 5 as we finish out. As long as I am in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We had this great discussion about this. I am the light of the world that Jesus said. I am the light. If you are constantly looking for the causes of the breakdown in society, if you're constantly looking for the reason for all suffering, you will find that these sufferings and all the other sufferings are but from the natural consequence of God doing one thing, I mean, of man doing one thing, throwing God out. That's the problem. We've taken him out of our schools. We've taken him out of our workplace. We've taken, and some people have even taken him out of the church. That's the problem. That's the problem. We believe God has placed some kind of restraint on us. God is holding us back from doing something. But God in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite wisdom knows our heart. He knows all our hearts, and he has warned us. He has given us warning. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But we know from the beginning of John's gospel that men love darkness rather than light. Men prefer darkness rather than light because in the light, our evilness is exposed. 
our evilness is exposed and we're afraid to come to the light. I am the light of the world, but God has chosen you and has pulled you out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. He has pulled you out of the muck and the mire into his love by the cross. He has given you a hope. He's given you a future. He's given you a peace and a comfort that can't be given anywhere else or received anywhere else. God has done this because of his infinite and gracious love. God's light is coming into the world. God's light is shining on those with disabilities. God's light is shining on everywhere else. God has not left us alone to despair. You have hope in the midst of your circumstances. You have hope in the midst of your trials. You have hope in the midst of your tragedies. You have hope in the midst of the direst of circumstances. There is hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. One commentator said the works of God are wrath-bearing, curse-removing, guilt-lifting, righteous-providing, death-defeating, life-giving, and the end of suffering, removing, totally removing. Why can I say that? Because as the Apostle John was in heaven, as the Apostle John was in heaven, and he's trying to write down the description of what heaven looks like, and he couldn't come up with the words to write what heaven looked like. He couldn't come up with these words. Oh, I know he said about the, the, the glassy sea and the streets of gold and all that stuff. But listen to what he says in Revelation 21, verse 4. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, crying, pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If that's not glorious, if that's not beautiful, a description of what we will receive, and over every sorrow, and over every disability, and over every loss is embraced in faith, the glory of God will be written in the blood of Jesus Christ. The glory of God will be written. Let me conclude with this. Oh, the Apostle Paul, he learned so much, but you know, the majority of what Paul learned was from hard knocks. Oh, yeah, he had a great time of teaching with Jesus, but he learned so much by hard knocks. And he writes this beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 4. It's one of my wife's most favorite passages, and we speak of it often. He says this in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. This light and momentary affliction. I like that. I really like that because just when you think the affliction is so heavy to carry, Paul says, oh, it's just light, and it's just going to last for a moment. I love that. I love that. This light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Oh, listen to that. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we do this, as we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. Oh, the glory. God, the beauty of God, instead of reveling in your circumstances, instead of reveling and getting mileage out of your tragedy and getting mileage out of your affliction, get mileage out of that. A glorious, wonderful God. What is he saying there? Get your eyes off the circumstances. Get your eyes off the tragedy. Get your eyes off, the, off of everything and put them on me, Jesus said. Put them on me. Them on me, and you will have peace. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.